Hello, and thanks for joining us for another week of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Conkle. The cuts to weekend penalty rates continue to dominate the news. This week on the program, we report on the emergency meeting of young workers held at the Victorian Trades Hall to formulate a grassroots strategy and fight back against the cuts to weekend rates. Also in the program this week, we explore some of the issues behind the market failures in the energy sector. On the back of brownouts and failures of the energy grid, infrastructure privatisation and the ideological opposition to renewable energy have come to the fore. These issues are forced to focus on the future of energy policy in Australia. A little later on, we'll hear from New South Wales ETU Deputy Secretary Dave McKinley about some of the issues that lie underneath the current debate. But first, some union news. Sally McManus has been elected as the new Secretary of the ACTU. McManus becomes the first woman to hold that position in the ACTU's 90-year history. Prior to her move to the ACTU, McManus was the New South Wales Secretary of the Australian Services Union, overseeing the landmark equal pay case for community workers. The equal pay campaign secured pay increases of up to 45% for the largely female workforce. In 2015, when McManus first moved to the ACTU, she was the campaign director of the Build a Better Future campaign, a marginal seat strategy that came very close to ousting a first-term government. Day one of her tenure as secretary was not without controversy. Asked on the ABC's 7.30 program whether she would distance herself and the ACTU from the lawless and illegal acts of the CFMEU, McManus swatted away Lee Sale's cringeworthy gotcha journalism with ease. Her rather uncontroversial comments about the need to resist unjust laws have resulted in breathless shrieking by Liberal MPs and the corporate media. Her comments were widely welcomed by unionists who both understand the flawed union-busting nature of our industrial legislation and that nothing has ever been won with good behaviour. In her first address to unionists, McManus has indicated that the ACTU will shift its focus this year to tackling the growing wealth inequality caused by rampant corporate greed. More than 800 workers have been made redundant from the INPEX ICTUS project after a financial dispute between the two major contractors. These skilled tradespeople were working to build the cryogenic tanks as part of one of the country's largest liquid natural gas projects based out of Darwin. The workers were let go with no notice, being told at 6am that morning that they no longer had jobs. Many of the workers who work on a fly-in, fly-out basis were on planes back home within hours, without work and without any explanation as to what had happened. The layoffs were caused by contractor Lang O'Rourke withdrawing from the project, complaining that another contractor had failed to pay more than $170 million in contract payments. Lang O'Rourke had been subcontracted to build the cryogenic tanks by Kawasaki Heavy Industries, who itself had received a contract from the head contractor JKC to do the work. These workers have fallen victim to an all-too-common failure of the contracting pyramid, where large businesses seek to delay payments to their contractors and squeeze every dollar out of large projects. The ETU and CFMEU have lodged an application in the Fair Work Commission, claiming that Lang O'Rourke has failed to adhere to the consultation clause in the agreement. The future of both the workers and the project more broadly now hangs in the balance. And now for an update on the dispute at Parmalat-Sachuca facility in regional Victoria, where about 70 workers remain locked out by their employer. The workers have been locked out now for more than 60 days after refusing to accept cuts to conditions and the introduction of a two-tiered wage structure, which would see new workers paid hundreds of dollars less for doing the same work. The workers were in Bendigo last week, appearing in front of the Senate's inquiry into the corporate avoidance of the Fair Work Act. 
the workers gave their accounts of how the company's threat to terminate their existing enterprise agreement would result in cuts of pay between 40 and 70%. The workers went on to outline how the company was using this application as a threat, promising to withdraw the application if the workers accepted a new deal to cut their wages and conditions. Three weeks ago, the workers defiantly rebuffed this offer, voting 67 to 1 against accepting the company's revised offer. Support for the workers continues to roll in, with the CUB 55, who were the subject of a massive labour dispute last year, returning the acts of solidarity they received and handing over a donation of $10,000 to keep the workers going. If you would like to support the workers, you can do so by logging on to www.gofundme.com forward slash support hyphen parmalat hyphen workers or visiting AMWU ETU Achuka Lockout on Facebook. On the 13th of March in Melbourne, swimming instructors joined together to launch their new union, the Swim Instructors Association. The association was born out of widespread underpayments of wages and other conditions at Paul Sadler Swimland, a business that has more than 15 centres across Australia and overseas. The new union is affiliated with the AWU, who have been working with the instructors, filing applications in December last year on their behalf to enforce their workplace rights. Agitated instructors have highlighted that many of them have been denied long service leave, weekend penalty rates and been forced to work shifts as short as one and a half hours, which is less than the three-hour minimum under the award. The SIA has now set its sights on bargaining a new enterprise agreement to improve paying conditions for instructors. If you're a swim instructor or know someone who is, you can find more information at www.swiminstructors.com.au West Australian asbestos removalists are entering the third week of strike action over what they describe as a take-it-or-leave-it pay cut proposed by their employer, CAPE. The members of the AMWU have taken their protest on the road, heading to Alcoa facilities across the West Australian regions who are current clients of their employer. The employer has demanded that the employees accept a 25% pay cut as a precondition for the company re-tendering for work with Alcoa. The workers fear that they will be either made redundant or that the company may shift its operations to a different associated entity to avoid its obligation to negotiate with them. The workers' only claim is for a retention of existing conditions and the extension of the current trading arrangements for the next 12 months. Queensland-based members of the Australian Federated Union of Locomotive Employees have voted in favour of a merger with the Queensland branch of the Electrical Trades Union. The AFULE represents train crews in Queensland, and 70% of their members voted in favour of the merger. Both the ETU and the AFULE state that there won't be much change to the day-to-day -day operations of both unions. However, AFULE members will now have access to the regional offices of the ETU and other membership benefits applicable to the wider ETU membership. The merger was opposed by the RTBU, who have coverage of similar workers in other states after a round of amalgamations in the early 90s. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Anger continues to mount as the drastic effects of the recent decision to cut the Sunday penalty rates of retail, hospitality and pharmacy workers becomes more clear to the hundreds of thousands of workers who will be affected. The decision to cut Sunday penalty rates by between 25 and 50% will see pay cuts of up to $6,000 a year for some workers. A large component of the roughly 700,000 workers who will be affected are young workers. 
Last Wednesday, a crowd of more than 60 young workers attended an emergency meeting called by the Victorian Young Workers Centre and held at Victorian Trades Hall to develop a grassroots strategy for young workers to fight back against the cuts. Annie McLaughlin caught up with one of the organisers, Nadia Montague, and some of the participants prior to the meeting. So you've called this emergency meeting for, uh, for y of young workers uh, about penalty rates. Can you talk to me about this? Absolutely. So a couple of weeks ago we were outside the Fair Work Commission and a lot of the people that you actually see here tonight uh, were there and were just devastated. Devastated that there could be a decision that could cut $6,000 um, for young workers in their wages every year. But one thing that we have sort of found is that there's a lot of anger and what comes from anger is action. And so this is a night where we get everyone together, where we're coming up with a strategy totally from the grassroots to come up with 10 events where we will have an army of young people making sure that everyone knows how important penalty rates are and how to reinstate them. Wondering why you've come today? I guess I supported myself on um, working on Sundays. Uh, throughout my university uh, degree and I feel very strongly about the fact that they're cutting the penalty rates even by just a small amount because every, in my experience, every, every dollar counts. So. You want to tell me why you've come today? Uh, because of what's happening with penalty rates and I don't think it's right what's being done. It affects you? Not directly. I don't, I don't work in hospitality anymore but I worked in it for nearly 10 years and uh, you know it was rough and to have penalty rates cut that's going to make it even harder so I'm just here because I don't you know it makes me angry and I don't think it's right and I'm not quite sure what to do yet but I'm here to see what other people think. I'm here because you know I, I used to work in hospitality um, but I also know that it, it won't stop there um, it's no doubt going to affect other industries in, in time to come if, if we don't stop it so Thanks. Why are you here? Uh, same reason. Uh, I'm here. I used to work in retail and uh, I work in construction now. I believe uh, this step that the government's brought in is just a stepping stone to get to other industries. Also in attendance was Alex White, the Secretary of Unions ACT, who joined the meeting at the conclusion of the day's ACTU executive meeting. So why is this an important event today, the uh, young workers uh, getting together over penalty rates? Well, penalty rates are enormously important for young people. There's a lot of uh, people, a lot of businesses say that it's just pocket money, but for many young people, including high school students, it's how they pay the bills, it's how they uh, survive. The penalty rate cuts are very savage and they mean a $95 a week pay cut. So for everyday people, particularly young people, that is an enormous amount of money. And it's really important that uh, young people in Victoria and around Australia, where I'm from in Canberra, are standing up with, in Canberra, over 50,000 people will be affected by the cuts to weekend penalty rates, Sunday rates. And young people, women, people of colour are going to be affected the most. And it's really important that unions stand behind young people, empower them, give them the skills that they need in order to fight against these penalty rates cuts whether it's against the federal government and Turnbull, whose spineless, craven capitulation to the business lobby has got us to this point, or they're standing up to their boss. One of the big challenges that we face is uh, not just the penalty rates cuts, these wage cuts that working people can't afford and don't deserve, but it's underpayments and wage theft. And young people uh, in Canberra, I know, 50% uh, of young people aged under 25 in work experience wage theft. 
So it is a very important uh, issue, not just penny rates, but being paid correctly, full stop. Nadia kicked off the meeting, setting the scene and highlighting some of the issues facing young workers, drawing on her personal experience in the hospitality industry. With all of us together here, we are a collection. In some ways, we're affected by one issue when we have one story. But we really have an anthology of stories. I have worked for a long time in the union movement, but I also used to work in hospitality. I used to work in this cafe in Brisbane that was like tucked away in the CBD. And I was really young. It was one of my first jobs. I really shouldn't have been serving the alcohol. And I remember just the way that the relationships that I made with the folks that I worked with and how we looked out for one another. And I remember this one day my boss came up and said, you're closing tonight and uh, you're not going to get any overtime, you're not going to get double time and a half. And I remember an older woman that was working with me who was a law student and she just came in and said, um, you're legally compelled to pay us penalty rates. And I just remember thinking, why didn't I say that? I wish I said something that wonderful. And that's actually the crystallisation of disempowerment. When you are in a situation, you're like, I wish I said something, I wish something happened, I wish I did something. We can't do it on our own, we have to do it together. So we've worked in bars, in restaurants, we uh, miss out on 21st birthdays. But as Luke was saying, what's happening with us is not just about penalty rates. We actually see like incredible things happening. I, as a union organiser, have spoken to, just a few weeks ago, a 16-year-old girl who got up on a grill that was turned off, it burned her leg so badly that she had to go home to her mum and say, I can't wear the formal dress anymore, they'll see my scar. Now, can you imagine? And I can't help but think, what are our expectations when we go to work? Have we dropped our expectations? We just start thinking, I'm not going to get penalty rates. I'm not going to be in a safe workplace. I think we need to raise expectations, raise our expectations, or we raise hell. What became apparent from the meeting was that while penalty rate cuts will have significant and damaging effects on the pay of young workers, just as important is the failure of many employers to pay penalty rates at all, despite their legislative requirements to do so. The meeting identified that despite the crisis facing those who will have their weekend pay cut, the decision also provides an opportunity for a wider campaign to raise awareness about the systematic wage theft and underpayment that is prevalent in the industries that are affected by the cuts. The meeting broke into small groups based on industry to discuss the impact of the cuts and to formulate a strategy to fight back. Groups reported back to the meeting and resolved to take the fight for penalty rates to the streets, malls and workplaces of Victoria. A series of blitz events where large groups of young workers will go shop to shop raising awareness of the cuts and workers' rights more broadly was adopted. If you'd like more information on how you can get involved in these events or on the broader campaign to fight back against penalty rate cuts, head to www.youngworkers.org.au. You're listening to Stick Together, union news and workers' stories broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network.
Since repeated and significant failures of the national energy grid, including February's statewide blackout in South Australia, the nation's energy policy has come to prominence. The major political parties are seeking to secure political points on the issue, with Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull declaring energy security will be the defining debate of 2017. Getting off to a very bad start, the Liberal Party falsely claimed that an over-reliance of renewable energy was the root cause of the power outage in South Australia. It was revealed that they were aware that this was not the case. The Liberals instead chose to misrepresent the matter and toss a lump of coal around the House of Representatives. The West Australian Liberal government, which was unceremoniously tossed out of power a fortnight ago, were also damaged by a strong union campaign against their plans to privatise the state's energy generator. Since the West Australian election, the Liberal and Labor parties, federally and around the states, have fallen over themselves to show they have a solution to the years of policy misadventure. These proposals have included such things as increased battery storage and a $2 billion intervention to boost production from the Snowy Hydro Scheme. The South Australian Labor government has also announced that it will create a new, publicly owned gas fire plant, reversing the decades-long trend of energy privatisation across the country. The South Australian Premier and Federal Energy Minister went toe-to-toe in an awkward media conference. What has become clear is that the neoliberal program of privatisation of the energy sector has failed to deliver anything but higher energy prices and greater energy insecurity. These outcomes have been caused by deliberate suppression of supply, as well as reduced capital investment and neglectful standards of maintenance of the existing infrastructure. Stick Together's New South Wales reporter Colin Hesse has filed this report. In the last week, the people of South Australia have suffered load-shedding power cuts and a New South Wales record heatwave of Friday and Saturday caused a shutdown of the Tamago aluminium smelter as South Australian Australia power grid staggered under the weight of record power demand. In New South Wales Electoral Trades Union, which represents power workers, has called for urgent change to the energy regulator. ETU Deputy Secretary Dave McKinley joins me now to explain. Dave, welcome to Stick Together. It's been a lot of hot summer, Dave, and but the need for the baseload power to recover extreme demand is well understood. Why are we facing this issue? Yeah, thanks, Cole. Look, um, I'm only going to talk about New South Wales. It's where I, I know the best. But in this state, we've had three power stations shut down over the last 10 years. Uh, one at Mount... Uh, sorry. One on the Central Coast uh, due to the end of its life. It, it was well past its expiry date. One in the Hunter region, which was a privately owned one, which went bankrupt. And then the last one was Walera Wang Power Station out at Lithgow, which was purchased by uh, China Light and Power as part of a privatisation of the power industry in New South Wales. One of the first steps they took was to actually shut the power station down. That took a 1,000 megawatts of power straight out of the grid in New South Wales. Um, In our view, the only reason they did it was to uh, drop their costs and increase the the price of electricity. How does that Those, work, Dave? I mean, how does that work? Ch- closing down a, a power station, I understand, but how does that increase the price of electricity? Uh, simple supply and demand. Mm. Um, they might be a, a communist country, but the, the Chinese know very well about supply and demand. And if there's not enough supply and there's more demand, they can charge a higher price for the electricity in general. But more importantly, they can charge a lot more for it in peak periods as well. So. Whilst the general day-to-day running of New South Wales power has more than adequate um, capacity, uh, capacity, sorry, yeah, but when it comes to a peak, that thousand megawatts is what's really needed out of uh, Wallerawang, and because it's not there, they can then actually ramp up the price of uh, peak periods. 
They'll say it's not that. They'll say that uh, they shut it down for economic reasons and, and the fact it was um, unviable and that sort of thing. But realistically, the shutting down and taking a 1,000 megawatts out of the market has reduced the supply, but the demand is always increasing. So it's a bit of basic economics. We went very close to shutting the system down completely on Friday and Saturday. Dave, I know the... Tomago aluminium smelter up there in the Hunter had to be closed down as an emergency measure. Why was that? I mean, is that related to taking out Willerowang? Yeah, look, places like Tomago as an aluminium smelter, they're a really high user of uh, electricity. There's a, a few places around New South Wales that use a lot of electricity. The aluminium smelter is the largest single plant that um, electricity use in the state. 10%, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unfortunately, they were the first ones targeted and the regulator has basically said to them, we need you to, to shut down now. Economically for them, two days out of a year, it mightn't sound much, but it's a, it's a fair whack of money in their bottom dollar and it affects our members as well. If the, if the plant's not viable because they don't have a regular electricity supply, they'll simply take it offshore to somewhere which will give them a regular electricity supply and we'll lose every single employee in that place. I guess, Dave, the Turnbull government is claiming the problem is caused, in South Australia at least, by an over-reliance on renewable energy generation. I guess you're saying that's not the case. Uh, no, it's not. Look, I know at the start I said I'd only talk about New South Wales, but I did a little bit about South Australia. They had a, a once-in-a-lifetime storm that come through that, that took out about 100 towers of transmission, which is a fair run of, um, of big power towers that reduced their capacity dramatically. And it's, it's come out today that the the furphy that the Liberal government was handing around last week and their, their little shell of a block of coal in Parliament and that uh, was just that. It was a furphy. And the, uh, the regulator's report has said very clearly that it had nothing to do with their generation capacity from renewables. It had everything to do with the fact that they'd had a major storm that had taken out power lines that they have not had the time to replace yet. Uh, and... The Liberal Party actually had that report sitting on their desk when they ran into Parliament with their little show piece of coal. So it's made an absolute joke out of their argument about renewables. Now, on top of that, New South Wales is the or it's a state that has the lowest lowest amount of renewables out of anywhere in Australia, and yet we were very close to shutting down as well. If all the reports were right, we come very close to load shedding throughout suburbs in Sydney. What's the solution, Dave? I mean, I know you. I know the ETU in New South Wales and other states has been a long, long campaign against privatisation. Do we have to look at renationalising the sector? Uh, look, we had all of the conservative press laugh at us and tell us we were just running a, a campaign for the sake of our members when we said privatisation could lead to blackouts in the state, and we've been proved to be right. The simple fact is that a private company is only there to make money. That's their number one goal in life. They don't have any social conscience. Well, they may have a small social conscience, but it runs second to making the dollar. If we had a nationalised power system run by a government whose priorities look after the citizens of the state, then the citizens come first. And we wouldn't have seen Willera Wang shut down. We would have seen a 1,000 megawatts of power left in the grid, and we would have seen capacity to handle what happened on Friday and Saturday. So, yeah, we'd, we believe that the uh, nationalisation of the power generation industry is an absolute must for the country. Uh, we also believe that the transmission and distribution areas should be 
either renationalised or stopped from being privatised, depending on what state it is around the country, because it plays a big part in getting that electricity out to people. And we've seen major cuts in the numbers of workers across the whole of Australia through privatisation. So things like the storm that went through South Australia, there's just simply not the workers to go out and replace that sort of stuff. I guess and that the, leads to uh, less reliability as well. Looking at those jobs, because that's one of the big claims of the federal government, that it's, it's all about jobs and growth. How many jobs have been lost in particularly regional New South Wales, for example, from the privatisation of electricity over any period of time you want to name, Dave? Yeah, look, the distribution area of um, New South Wales hasn't been privatised, and at the moment it won't be, but there was major cuts by the, the Liberal National Party in New South Wales. We've lost about uh, around about 2,000 employees out of what's called essential energy. The, the two major uh, distributors in Sydney and, and Wollongong, the Newcastle region, have lost, oh, off the top of my head, I think it's about another 1,000. Uh, the generation area, there was cuts. I couldn't tell you the exact number, but they're not at that level because they don't have the employment levels that the distribution and um, transmission networks do. But they're continually under threat in the distribution and transmission area to make more cuts to make it either competitive against a privatised company or for a privatised company to make more money. Those job cuts see reliability disappear straight out the window. There was a, a prime example of that was the, uh, I'm going to say Ash Wednesday, but I could be wrong on there, the major fires in, in um, Victoria anyway. There was a coroner's report into that that said very clearly that the fires were a result of a lack of maintenance of the electrical distribution area. And that, that, and that was um, privatised, wasn't it? That was a, that was a fully privatised area and had been privatised for quite some time. So the maintenance had just gone through the floor and caused a fire which ended up with fatalities and, and millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of damage. Mm. Dave, is this about actually cutting the conditions of members and also cutting the, cutting the power of unions? There's a certain ideological bent in privatisation. Um, you know, there's some economic benefits for any state that privatise. Our view, and, and we've had research to back this up, is it's only a short-term gain. The vast majority of them give a return to government every year. And whether it's a small return or a large return, it doesn't matter. Over time, that return adds up. Every single privatisation around the world has been shown that over time, the government has lost out. They simply don't get the long-term returns from a private area. The return to the people that own and run that place to start with far outweighs in the long term the short-term gain you get by a cash grab of selling off an asset and just using that to try and win the next election. Dave McKinley, thanks so much for joining us on Stick Together on the Community Radio Network. Dave McKinley is the Deputy Secretary of the ETU New South Wales branch. We thank you for his time this morning. Well, that brings us to the end of another week's show. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. This show and others like it are only made possible by listeners like you. So be sure to get in contact with your local station, join up, subscribe, and keep Community Radio on the airwaves. The podcast of this and other recent episodes can be found at our website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash stick together. If you would like to get in contact with the producers of the show, you can either call us on 03-9419-8377 and leave us a message, or email us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook by searching Stick Together Program. Tune in again next week where our new presenter, Sarah McKenzie, will bring you another edition of the show packed full of union news and workers' stories. Finally, remember, no matter where you work or what you do, there is a union for you. I'm Matt Conkle. Until next time, stick together.